0: And he came in the spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and he blessed God. And he said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And then as a widow until she was 84, she did not depart from the temple, worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. And when they had performed everything according to the law of the Lord, they returned into Galilee to their own town of Nazareth. And the child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for preserving it for us through the ages and even giving it to us now this morning. We've heard it read in a language we understand, but we ask that you would grant to us more than physical hearing and understanding. Grant to us spiritual Hearing and understanding, open our eyes, even that we may behold wondrous things from your law. Teach us and train us, correct us and rebuke us for righteousness' sake. Oh God, make us more like your Son, Jesus Christ. I pray for your people, O oh God, that as they hear the preached word, that your Spirit would be active in their hearts. And Father, I pray that you would help me, your servant. Would you protect me from error? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing and acceptable unto you, O God. You are my rock and our redeemer. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Many years ago in the Republic of Zaire, which is now part of the DRC, the Democratic Republic of Congo... But back in Zaire, some Christians gathered to celebrate an important anniversary. It's the anniversary of the first missionaries to bring the gospel to that land many decades before. And as is typical of these types of celebrations, particularly in these countries, it lasted all day. It started early in the morning and it just went all day with various speakers, lots of music, lots of worship, and so on. Well, toward nightfall, when they were thinking about wrapping up, a very old man approached the leaders and asked them if he could speak. They obliged. He took the microphone and he said this, "'I must tell you something. I am the last living witness to this and I will die soon. It must not go with me to my grave.' He continued, "'When the first white missionaries arrived here, we did not believe their message. So we decided to test them. Little by little, we poisoned them until they began to get very sick. Some of them even died. We wanted to see if they kept their faith until the end. We wanted to watch and see how they suffered. When we saw that they did not change, when we saw that their faith grew even stronger, we decided to believe their message. Wow. As you can imagine, a a hush fell over that place. No one really knew how to respond. They knew the stories of the sickness and death that met the missionaries when they first arrived, but they didn't know this. They had never known what had happened to them. In fact, those who were there never even knew why they were getting sick. But their faithfulness to the Lord... Their faithfulness to God, even when they were suffering, was used by God to bring many to faith in Jesus Christ. I think the principle is this we never know how we will be called upon to be witnesses for Jesus, do we? We never know exactly how we will be called upon to be witnesses for Jesus. In this life, we never know. But this we can be certain of. We're joining a long line, a very long line of those who have gone as witnesses before us. In fact, our very lives, how we speak, how we act, how we suffer, how we prosper, our very lives are living testimonies to God. For those of us who are followers of Jesus, the question is this, how? How will our lives bear witness to him? And how will our lives bring glory to him? Luke, the author of this gospel, made it clear in the verses we looked at last week, chapter one, verses one through four, he made it clear that he's keenly interested in witnesses. He's keenly interested in eyewitnesses. Like an investigative journalist, Luke is writing his gospel account so that Christians through all ages would have certainty. Remember, this is the gospel of knowing for sure. He wants them to have certainty, biblical certainty, historical certainty about all the things that they had been taught about Jesus Christ. And as we come to this passage this morning, we see a wonderful example of how Luke brings forth details, details unique from the other gospel accounts, details that magnify the life and the ministry of Jesus, and details that serve to challenge us to consider our own witness for him. So to guide our study of this passage today, we're gonna consider the three unique witnesses presented here. And so no surprise, these three witnesses will form our outline for the day. If you're taking notes, here's the first one. Jesus and Mary's witness. So the first is Jesus and Mary's witness. Verses 21 through twenty-four, give us some very important details regarding two events in the life of the baby Jesus. To help us see just how important these details are, let's just look at the text. I wanna point you to some key repeated words throughout the passage I read for you. Look at verse 22, according to the law of Moses. Look at verse 23, as it is written, in the law of the Lord. Look at verse 24, what is said in the law of the Lord. Look at verse 27, according to the custom of the law. Verse 39, according to the law of the Lord. Remember, we should pay attention when such things are repeated over and over again. Five times in this brief passage, five times. Luke highlights that the things Joseph and Mary are doing are quote, according to the law. Jesus' circumcision, Jesus' presentation, these are things that God has prescribed for his people as conditions of the covenant he has made with them. Joseph and Mary then are shown here by Luke, they're shown propped up to be faithful worshipers of Yahweh. They're faithful worshipers of the covenant God of the people of Israel. So there in verse 21, we saw that Jesus is circumcised on the eighth day according to the law. And so thus Jesus receives the covenant sign and is thus identified with God's people in his humanity. Okay, he's identified with God's people. Further, we find in verses 22 through 24 that they then present Jesus at the temple. You're likely familiar with circumcision and its importance. I won't rehash all that for you here, but perhaps you wonder about this one, the second one, this act of presentation. Why are they doing this? Well, they're doing it for two reasons. One was for purification. According to the law found in Leviticus 12, we won't turn there, you can write that down and look for yourself later. The law, according to the law in Leviticus 12, a woman who gave birth to a son was deemed ceremonially unclean for 40 days after his birth. When her time was up, when her 40 days were up, she was required to bring the priest a lamb for a burnt offering and a pigeon for a sin offering. I want you to notice in this case, Joseph and Mary didn't bring a lamb. I mean, in one way they did, right? But not to be sacrificed yet, but this is important. They couldn't afford one. There was a provision in the law. And this provision said that they could bring two pigeons if that's all they could afford. I think this is a clear indication and Luke's trying to point this out to us of the poverty into which Jesus was born. And thus it's another reminder of his humility in his incarnation, his humanity. Well, the other reason that Jesus is presented at the temple is found in these words at the very end of verse 22, to present him to the Lord. This too was part of God's law, going all the way back to Exodus. Some of you may remember this from our journey through Exodus in chapter 13, verse two, God said to Moses, consecrate to me all the firstborn. Whatever is the first to open the womb among the people of Israel, both man and of beast is mine. Firstborn, the principle of the firstborn belongs to the Lord. So you see when parents presented their children to God in this manner, they were setting them apart for his service. Joseph and Mary were, we might say, consecrating, setting apart the baby Jesus to the Lord. Fully God, fully man, being presented to the Lord. Such faithful keeping of the law on Joseph and Mary's part. And Luke's uh, fixation on this is a wonderful witness to God's faithfulness. This is a witness to God's faithfulness. Sure, they're faithful worshipers, but this is actually pointing to God's faithfulness. You remember what Paul says in Galatians 4, 4 and 5? I'll read part of it. You can look there for yourself. It tells us that Jesus was born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Jesus was born under the law. The law, Though he's fully divine, he's also fully human. And think about this for a minute. He's a fully infant human at this point. He's an infant. He really is an infant. He really was a baby. He really is a baby here. Sent to do what no one else could do, to fulfill the law perfectly on behalf of his people, Jesus in these moments is carried along by his heavenly father's faithfulness while also being subjected to the obedience of human parents. Think about that for a moment. I mean, yes, they were given special revelation of who he was before he was born. But by doing these two acts, Having Jesus circumcised and consecrated according to the law, Joseph and Mary are testifying. They are being witnesses to the covenant faithfulness of God to his people. It's a beautiful picture, often overlooked in our Advent narratives. I don't always get this specific in application, but I wanna speak to parents and maybe grandparents of young ones here. We've been called to raise our children, their gift. Now we haven't been called to raise the son of God. Our kids might think they are, (laughs) that they're perfect and sinless. But we've been called to raise our children. We're called to do what countless numbers of parents before us have been called to do, even Joseph and Mary. We're also called to do for our children, quote, according to the law of the Lord. So when we present our children for baptism, when we raise them in the faith, that is, we raise them in the fear and admonition of the Lord, when we love them and when we teach them to live for Christ in this world, we're bearing witness to the covenant faithfulness of God. We're bearing witness to God's promise to be God to us and to our children and to our children's children and to a thousand generations, as many as he calls unto himself. So parents, I encourage you not to lose sight of the powerful witness for God that you are, not only to your children, but to a world that is watching. You are a peculiar people. Be peculiar. Raise your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. The second witness, and our passage this morning is a man named Simeon. And this is our second of three points, if you're following along in the outline Simeon's witness, and Joseph and Mary's witness. Now we come to Simeon's witness. When Jesus is there presented at the temple, this godly saint is waiting. This godly saint is waiting to receive him. And in verses 25 and 26, Luke says that Simeon was, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ or had seen the Messiah. What a promise, right? Can you imagine? Every day there's children coming into this place, Right? Every day, he's like, "Is that the one? Is it this one? Is it that one?" Man, I wish I could go back and watch him. I mean, twice, twice. Luke says that he's full of the Spirit, right? Excuse me, three times actually. Uh, this, he's has special special revelation from God. Can you just picture him, the joy on his face? This is the one. Here he is. This is the one. This is the Christ. This is the Messiah. He had waited patiently for the fulfillment of this promise. He had held on to this promise with all of his might. He kept looking, and now God had finally done what God had promised to do. And then look again, verses 29 through 32. He's singing. This is one of those songs. The songs of Luke that Luke includes, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. He's like, I'm ready to die now. You said I'd see this where I died. Take me home, Jesus. For my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people, Israel. He's laid his own eyes on the promised Messiah. Simeon's ready to go. God promised him he wouldn't see death until he sees this baby. He's ready. His eyes have witnessed God's salvation. you see Joseph and Mary's response in verse 33? I mean, you're just there kind of minding your own business with your kid. Some guy runs up, starts yelling this. Says they marveled. They marveled. They were in wonder. I mean, Let's put ourselves in their sandals for a moment. What a remarkable promise to hear about a poor child whose parents could barely scrape together enough pigeons to make an offering. And to hear that he is the Messiah, the King, the reigning one, they've been told that before. But I mean, none of us struggle with believing God's promises, right? Okay. What an amazing, amazing picture this must have been. But then with a witness that no one saw coming, Simeon draws a blade, not literally, figuratively. He draws a blade that will pierce Mary's soul. And with his words, the dark shadow of the cross falls on the mother and the child. You can see it there in verses 34 through 36. We read it earlier. Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed." With these words, Simeon offers the first hint, the first hint of the great suffering that Jesus would endure to bring salvation to his people. Jesus indeed is salvation, that's what his name means, Uh, but he will also be the object of opposition. That's what he's saying here. Jesus is a sign that is opposed. He brings opposition. People will despise him. People will reject him and people will take their stand against him. People still despise him. Today, people still reject him today. People still take their stand against him. As one commentator notes, Daryl Bach, he says, Jesus will be God's litmus test for where a person really stands. Jesus will be the measuring stick, a litmus test, a plumb line, whatever you wanna say for where God's people, where anybody stands. And in the end, of course, people opposed to Jesus and his life will do what? They'll nail him to a tree and leave him there to die. Don't put yourself back in the sandals of Mary holding the baby Jesus. Can you imagine how these words did pierce her soul? probably stuck to her like glue, right? Throughout Jesus's life. Can you imagine that day there at the cross? Well, even so, Simeon's prophecy shows that from the beginning, God had a mission for Jesus. From the very beginning, he had a mission for him that required him to suffer and to die for sinners. Indeed, he would be the light of the world, but he would also be the world's suffering servant, savior. And though Simeon wouldn't fully understand all the implications of his prophecy, this is nevertheless, even he's uttered all these words, this that he's beholding, this child, the baby Jesus is nevertheless this consolation for him. It's a consolation that he longed to see and he's finally able to bear witness of it. And so you know what, Friends. It remains the consolation that each one of us who believe in Jesus long to see as well. For us, though, it's not the first coming of Jesus. Obviously, that was a long time ago. Now it's the second coming of Jesus. That's our consolation. With eager anticipation, we hold on to God's promise that he will one day send Jesus to this earth again to consummate all things. And and rather than us scooping the baby Jesus up in our arms, he will scoop us up in his. And then with the true eyes of faith, we're gonna behold him in all his glory. And then we will truly know his everlasting love and peace. And though we may suffer for his sake today, though we might even face death for our faithfulness to him, we do do so with eyes of faith, eyes fixed on him where he is in heaven. And we live for him as witnesses to him and his greatness. Well, it's been a pretty eventful day for the parents and the baby, right? But the day isn't over. The day's not over yet. There is one more person One more person has been holding on to God's promise. And this person has something to say and that person is named Anna. We read about her in verses 36 through 38. And with her, we come to our third and final point, Anna's witness. We've seen Joseph and Mary's witness. We've seen Simeon's witness. And now we come to Anna's witness. As Luke is apt to do, uh, he tells us several important things about Anna. First, she has the very uncommon calling of being a prophetess. This means that she had the rare privilege of knowing and proclaiming God's will for his people. Second, he says that she's a widow, an older widow. Sadly, Luke gives these details. Her husband had died after only seven years of marriage. That's what he means from the time of a virgin. So seven years. He died after that. Girls, as we've talked about when we talked about Mary, girls married at a very young age during this time, sometimes as young as 13. So she may have been no more than say 20 years old when her husband died. And according to Luke, she's now at least 84. She could also be older, but 84. Luke also notes that she's a faithful servant. Though she could have remarried, she instead remained single serving God in the temple, worshiping, he says with fasting and prayer night and day. Anna truly is a remarkable woman. And it's wonderful that Luke recognizes her in his gospel again. If you know anything about Luke's gospel, he does this a lot. He shines the light on those who were considered not so important in that day, to show that God's grace is for Jew and Gentile, but it's also for all. It's for all, and I love how Luke does that. And we'll come upon that theme over and over again as we go through his gospel. But there's one other important thing about Anna I want to mention. Luke notes that she is the daughter of Phanuel. It's appropriate that she's his daughter because Phanuel literally means face of God. And Anna has clearly been seeking God's face and her devotion to him all these years. So then is it any wonder that Anna was the woman who knew that Jesus was the Christ? According to verse 38, she saw Simeon hold him in his arms. She saw his face. And what did she do? Coming up at that very hour. It's like, she's just going about her business, right? She's just doing her thing, worshiping, tending to the needs of the temple. And she sees Simeon raise this child, probably hears what he says, and what does she do? She starts a worship service, right? She begins to praise God, giving God thanks for this blessed gift. See, Anna, through God's grace, God's leading, God's special revelation, recognized the Savior's face, the one whom God had sent to rescue his people. As soon as she saw him, she did what everyone who comes to Jesus should do. Look again at verse 38. She began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. She only gives thanks, but what does she do? She starts to tell other people about him. All those who were waiting You see the good news, this good news was too good for Anna to keep to herself. She had to share it with everyone she knew. Anna's life presented here by Luke can be summed up in two words, worship and witness. Worship and witness. I mean, even when faced with the bitter reality of being a young widow, she chose to worship and she chose to witness. But listen, these two things, worship and witness are not mutually exclusive concepts. Worship is witness and witness is worship. Do you understand? Worship is witness and witness is worship. So brothers and sisters, let me ask you this. What is your life all about? Anna's life was about worship and witness. What is your life all about? Have you seen Jesus? Not with your physical eyes, but with your spiritual eyes of faith. Have you recognized him as your savior from sin and from death? If so, then praise God for the free gift of salvation that you have received. Don't hesitate to be like Anna, rejoice in Jesus, but also witness for him. As you well know, you heard Austin say it earlier, as a church, our vision is to share our lives in the gospel with others. So let me encourage you this morning, share your new life in Christ with others and share the gospel that gave you that new life with them as well. I said this at the beginning, I'll say it again. We never know how we will be called upon to be witnesses for Jesus in this life. We never know, do we? We've seen three such witnesses this morning. Joseph and Mary's witness, Simeon's witness, and Anna's witness. These saints are certainly near the front of the line that we join even now, the long line of those who have been called to bear witness for God. I want you to think back to that moment that I began with in Zaire, now DRC, those Christians gathering to celebrate the gospel work that had happened there over the decades. They were certainly shaken, certainly shaken by what that old man stepped forward to tell them, right? And listen, we would never commend the actions that he and the others took, We can certainly commend the witness that those early missionaries gave for Jesus Christ. We can commend that. The life that they lived, even in their suffering, demonstrated to the natives to whom they came to minister that Jesus indeed is better. Jesus indeed is better, so much better than anything else. Consider those lyrics, again, that Evie sang earlier. In all my sorrows, Jesus is better. In every victory, Jesus is better. More than all riches, Jesus is better. Our souls declaring Jesus is better. Our song eternal, Jesus is better. Make my heart believe. Glory, glory. We have no other king but Jesus, Lord of all. We raise the anthem. Our loudest praises ring. We crown him, Lord of all. Jesus is better. I look around the room and I see all the many things that you're facing that I know of, many I don't know. I don't fully know how God is calling upon you to bear witness for him in this life, even today. But remember this, Jesus is better. Jesus is better, amen and amen.